is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joar. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Wednesday, March 21st, 2018. I'm at GDC in San Francisco with the lovely Scott Stein of CNET. Hi, Hi Scott. It's great to be on. Awesome. So we're going to talk GDC because we're both here. Yeah. But I'm, you know, next game dev, so I have a lot of ideas and thoughts of that. Nice. And you've been, because you're covering I'm not this, a game dev. No, but, but I, you've been but covering. But I know people who are, yeah. And I've not been actively covering, even though I'm attending. Mm-hmm. So you probably have more, like, insight because you've seen stuff that I haven't had time to see. Plus, there's a whole bunch of rumors um, of phones, especially the P20, which is coming out next week. Yeah. So let's talk about all that. Let's dive in. Yeah, let's talk about um, Qualcomm. As you guys can t- tell, my voice is a lot better in the last two weeks. I've been kind of recovering from this nasty post-MWC whatever it was virus. Oh, no. I'm trying not to catch Don't the Don't worry. GDC you're not going to have it now because it's been forever. Okay, like, good. Like, ago. Like, I'm fine. Like, it's just my voice is still affected, which is really weird because, you know, you're not, you're not sick, sick, and you're like, oh, my voice is still not quite right in the third podcast now. I felt that way this morning, but it may have been because I was drinking last night. Oh, A well. tiny bit. <laughs> you know. <laughs> a, few, a few drinks. It, wouldn't, it wouldn't be a good GDC if you weren't drinking. Um, so anyway, um, the the big exciting news of the morning, really, you wrote yeah. about it. Yes, is Qualcomm's new VR stuff for the eight forty five. Yes, so they they have a whole dev kit, a VR dev kit that they announced. And if you want to know where VR is heading, uh, this is a really good sign of what you'll expect to see. So they've been making these uh, reference design VR reference design VR uh, headsets. Uh, they made one last year. And they, they already announced that they're coming out with one this year. And they're built off the Snapdragon uh, processors. And the reason that's a big deal is because in the last, uh, not just for phone VR, but in the last year, we've seen standalone VR headsets that use those Snapdragon processors and are basically built off the Qualcomm reference and dev kit. Um, that's HTC Vive Focus, which was China only and is now just the mo- this morning announced that it's coming globally finally yeah so it's I mean, finally that's coming. pretty awesome right i was so surprised because htc had said previously of course everyone says, says they are till they're not but they always said yeah they're pc focused they're not looking at mobile right now and now okay it's coming out so there's <laughs> there's that there's oculus go which is built on the snapdragon 820 and that's coming maybe in may standalone and then the lenovo mirage solo which is the google daydream Standalone, Alone, yeah. Snapdragon 835. So anyway, back to the 845. The reason that's interesting is because this headset includes eye tracking. Yeah, that was that was announced. Foliation is yeah. a big deal. Yeah, there's a lot of things. So it's it's Toby eye tracking technology that uh, Toby had let the cat out of the bag with that a few days ago, and but that comes standard. And so what Qualcomm is saying is that they're expecting that the next wave of, of standalone VR headsets are going to adopt that for reasons of, like you said, of foveation, which if you don't know what that is, is is the ability to, to render graphics as your eye does, uh, only with the highest detail where your fovea is yeah. looking. So basically you vary the LOD level of detail, in case you guys don't know, yeah. um, of what you're seeing in the area where your eyes are looking. Yeah. And that's really what our brains do when we look at stuff like you know if you ever very carefully focus on a spot in front of you and you start paying attention in your brain without looking there of what you see around you like right now i'm looking at this lamp and scott you're like i'm not on my peripheral but at the edge of my peripheral vision and 
I know it's you because I've looked at you before, but if I was just projected into this environment, I would only know there's a person with glasses. Right. So that's exactly what our brain is doing. And this is what Qualcomm is applying to minimize the, all this extra processing you don't need to do. Yes, and they claim that the, um, that the lag on that will not be bad, not too bad, and that the benefit is that you're going to get a big graphics boost already on top of the 845 so that eventually you could you could get to maybe approaching something that looks a little more like your higher end VR not quite but but getting there and that's just that's just one of the reasons why a tracking could be interesting one is definitely to look at where to have a better sense of what you're looking at to maybe focus in on things in, in a VR app uh, Qualcomm brought up social VR a lot which was interesting discussing the there's, ability to make eye contact there's actually a lot of talk about that at GDC like yeah. not like direct talk but kind of this kind of implication that we might be using VR more for social purposes and of course then you know you need to be able to know who is who's that person looking at in that VR space right and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's a t that's a point. And another one is, and this is the this is the hot button issue, is analytics. The tracking of everything that you are looking at, uh, and the heat map of that is something that's of great value to uh, from an enterprise standpoint or advertising standpoint, and for all sorts of reasons to app developers. I mean, we don't we're in this era of tracking data, so you know that's extra data. That was interesting is they, they're not really making a strong case as to how that data is going to be used, who's using it. Big questions there. Well, I think this is a bad uh, week to do that. It's especially a really bad week Oculus. for Oculus. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get into the whole Facebook stuff because that's really not the scope of this podcast. But anybody who's listening to this podcast right now for context later on, yes. there's been a lot of crazy stuff going on with Cambridge Analytica and Facebook this week where, right. you know, uh, a lot of our own personal data has been going to these think tanks that are political and it's, uh, it's a big mess. So basically, this is not a good week to announce no. anything that says, hey, we're gathering more data. Right, we're going to be using this. And, and, it, and then also uh, discussed by other uh, VR beat reporters has been, this uses so the other thing this headset has is uh, six degree of freedom, six stuff. All these lingo things, I always feel bad if people don't know them. People who do them, it's fine. Six stuff slam. So what that is, is um, the ability to track inside out, to move around without extra camera sensors, but also for it to remember uh, and map out your room. Right. So that, um, you know. Like what you, Tango used to do. Like what Tango used to do. So you could map out, I think, a 20 foot by 20 foot area and have full room VR. Now again, the question is, well, if it's mapping and learning your spaces, how is that data shared between you know, X, Y, and Z? I think a lot of the discussion points, even from Qualcomm and others, is sometimes like, well, aren't you already doing that with this device in your house? What about your Roomba? What about your, you know, what about this? So that's a, that's a you know, that's an unfortunate uh, connecting point because you really want to talk about control of this, not, well, isn't everything else doing that? But yeah, we've used wearable tech for a long time, and I think about Facebook and and the the this whole this whole data issue, and looking at all the apps that uh, this week everybody's talking about looking at their apps that they've authorized Facebook to connect with. Yeah, and the number one thing for me is usually all the wearable stuff or all the other things that I use to test, and just reminds me of the permissions that you always grant to all these things. Yes, uh -huh. yes, yes. Uh -huh. That's true for anything you're gonna have with an HMD. So 
it is an interesting question with this now. You know, what what are you opting into? Camera? I mean, you know, the whole Strava thing recently, right? Yeah. That Strava um, was exposing essentially secret military installations by having the soldiers use their product and track their workouts. Right. Um, and, you know, and then, you know, sharing that publicly somewhat. Not their exact location. Anyway, you, you guys <laughs> exactly. follow yeah. up and look, look. This happened a while back. But I think to me, this is the next thing, right? What if you were in a secure air facility and you're using a VR headset not necessarily for gaming mm-hmm. but you're using it because you're trying to basically build something in 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 the virtual world or you know whatever it might be and now you're in a space that is you know classified and right. maybe you have equipment in front of you that's classified and this 3D depth map is getting created. You will never be allowed you know, to use that headset. And there, and there that is space. that B3 you know, right. stealth bomber in, or whatever right in front of you that, that you know, kind of ma- maps itself out and the people gathering that data are able to see that potentially. So, I mean, look, I, I'm not like a one of those, you know, paranoid, you know, uh, what's it called, you know, worried about um, conspiracies or anything and I don't really care too much about the military, frankly, but at, at the same time, you know, I can understand that national security in general and our privacy, more importantly, and our security are pretty important. So, yeah, these are going to be some major issues. I, I talked at a conference in in Croatia at the end of January where I talked about the five top trends of the future. And one of my trends was we, we really need to look at, you know, Every company that's doing anything in tech today needs to really think about privacy and security and how what they do could be misused or, you know, some of it is not going to be predictable. Like the Strava stuff, I think, was. They could have thought about it. But there's a lot of stuff that we're not, you know, when when I worked at Pebble, there's a lot of stuff we did that, in retrospect, I, I wish we'd been a little more diligent. Mm. But the technology was driving us so hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know this with wearables, it's really easy because you're is. starting to track a lot of personal stuff with wearables. Well, and I'm very permissive about it, first of all, because I'm testing it. And also because I think, well, I'd like to get the full experience. So why don't I let it I actually become more likely to say, oh, I'll let it look at location or this or that, because I feel like it's needed for that experience. Whereas on a, on a regular phone app, I usually don't like to enable that stuff. But it's bad on my part, too. And, um, and the and interesting, so when you mentioned that, it's not just, it's important to know, too, Qualcomm is not just looking at this with VR, but they're definitely seeing this as a connection to AR. And their whole name of this 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 team or this platform is called Qualcomm XR, which is their that's their version of mixed reality. Yeah, exactly, it's their branding of extended reality. But I think I think the idea is that there's going to be a lot of overlap. Cameras are going to become increasingly critical. Five G, so you're always going to be connected. So that all you know, we have cameras plus five G plus location data plus eye tracking, <laughs> plus AI, so. You know, it's hilarious because all the stuff you just mentioned were part of those five trends I talked about in that talk. Really? I'm gonna link the video. It's to, all the hot button trends. I'm gonna link the video to that talk in, in, in my show notes this time because I'm just realizing you guys have, listeners have never even seen this talk. And I I think it's pretty interesting because everything you just mentioned, yeah. I talked about, That's 5G. So funny. Uh, I, I really think personally that AR is a you know superset of, of VR. VR is a subset of it. Like you mm, could cover yeah. your eyes and you get VR, right? right? So anything we're developing for AR is actually going to benefit VR, and uh, and to some extent the other way around. But I think it's more universal the mm-hmm. way from AR to VR. So I can totally understand why Qualcomm is going for the XR angle, 
And, you know, again, all this privacy, security stuff, all this stuff we kind of like tangented into, which is what this podcast is all about, tangenting or was that, was that even a word? Just, like going on <laughs> to tangents, now. taking yeah. tangents, yeah. Um, is, is, not, is not to slam Qualcomm. I think right. that they are just developing the technology and obviously we need to use it wisely, right? Yeah. So uh, what else did you see that um, got you excited at GDC so far? Well, yeah, I'm looking this up so I make sure I've got, I've got the, uh, the, the names correct. The names, right? Which I, I probably <laughs> won't and I feel awful about this. But um, I went to a dev talk for Magic Leap. And oh, yeah. So I was thinking about this because Magic Leap, one of the most mysterious, uh, seemingly vaporous many times, like where is this company at promising holograms and I've never seen a demo of Magic Leap in my life. Some people have um, and Shaq has worn them. So th this um, Magic Leap 1 mixed reality headset is supposed to come out this year for a crater's edition that's going to be aimed i think kind of like an explorer edition something where you're somewhere between professional and made for for artists or early adopters so magic leaps kept a pretty low profile but that's been increasing well low profile they talk everywhere but it's been increasing lately with a lot of talks uh, code conference and now at gdc they're they're giving a series of developer talks i went to one that was all aimed at AI. It was part of the AI track. And the, the discussion was, why is this an AI track thing? I really liked the talk. And it was the first time, one of the first times I've really thought about um, the potential of mixed reality Magic Leap in a, in, a, in a new way. I think it's because a lot of the, you know, Magic Leap's early demos and promises were, were seemed more bombastic. You know, this was like your, your wild hallucinating elephants and I know I mean it's it's amazing to me that they still haven't really shown us what they're doing right I mean this is the most I mean, just again tangent ten, tangenting I love this new word I mean, <laughs> tangenting we're tangenting I mean, along like how is it possible this company's been around for what 20 years I'm joking for like two three years something like that now feels like a long time and we haven't seen we, all we've seen is Hypothetical. I mean, it's great hypothetical. Yeah. And clearly, they're getting the money. And and I mean, I you know, I'd like to think that Theranos is a one-off that they didn't get all this money and it just vaporized, uh, and they weren't just talking their way through BS the whole time. And that you know that they're the only ones who pulled it off. But I hope yeah. Magic Leak actually delivers something. Come come on. I hope so too. I think that there is definitely a focus lately for that company, which is what interests me on creating content, creating software, and some of the, the issues that everyone's going to have to be dealing with uh, in the next wave when it comes to AR and mixed reality. And that's where the talk really interested me because um, it was, um, this is, you know, I didn't expect to suddenly name names, but um, uh, uh, Alicia, Alicia, Alicia at GDC. Her last name is on her Twitter account. I forgot her last name. She used to be a Ubisoft. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should know your last name. Um, but I'll pull it up in a moment. Um, and also Brian Schwab, who, uh, you know, the they, game developers, both with Magic Leap, and the talk was about setting boundaries and, and design considerations. It reminded me of sitting through the early Google Glass developer talks at I.O. a long time ago, the, the learnings and key principles, which I always find fascinating because when you're entering a new technology or with VR, um, things that don't work, things they find that work, a couple of things I just remember, one was that they, they were talking about less is more, that pixels, the fewer pixels, the better. They kept talking in terms of pixels, but um, that 
that a little thing can be more magical than a big thing. And so it sounded like a lot of the focus is on subtle cues and subtle moments layered into your real world, not throwing tons of stuff. And then there was this interesting thought of anytime anything becomes too much like a screen shape, it, it will throw people into a possibly more sedentary screen mode, huh. which is negative. And, and the, the, uh, Brian had posited this theory that uh, that's why the Wii was so sedentary, that it put everyone in a screen mode. But I also think it's because they never developed motion games, because everybody liked Wii Sports. Right. But it is an interesting thought that w- at one point, when you see the rest of the world and you see something layered into it, do you just treat it like a floating TV screen versus an integral part of the world pointing you to real world things? So that was one interesting part. And then they brought up some stuff with eye tracking too, uh, suggesting, which I thought of before, and Qualcomm had brought up, that eye tracking can have a predictive element, that to some degree, uh, processing can start to jump ahead of what your action's going to be because you tend to look and, and you're, it's like a poker tell. You tend to look before you act. Right. And so some of the interfaces will start to do magical things uh, to work with that. And also working with spaces that aren't set, that um, like in VR, everything is set dimensions, but now you're designing for a world where your kitchen or my kitchen have different table heights. Yeah, everything is completely... Yeah, so everything is procedural. So I thought this was really interesting. It was like the first time I thought, okay, this is like real um, theoretical talk. It's not for me. But I love that because I, I feel bad sitting in that because I go, I'm not a developer. <laughs> like, get out of here, you know, press guy. But whatever. But I took a lot of notes and just enjoyed it as a creative. But that's, I used what, to, that's what GDC is about. Yeah, I love like, it. Yeah. I, I've been going for about 20 years originally as a developer and now on and off as media. And, you know, the stuff you just talked about, how like, you know, this, uh, when you see a screen, you tend to be sedentary and stuff is mm-hmm. actually a design problem that we've had in video games for a really long time, ever since we've done 3D rendered video games. You know, you're in a first person shooter and you're walking down a hallway, you see a screen on the left of you, right? Like a you know, control panel or something, right? Right. What are you gonna do, right? You're, you're likely to, well, if you're in the middle of the heat of the battle, you probably won't even notice it. But if you're not, you're likely to stop. Yeah. So now you're li- literally virtually sitting down, right? Or, or standing in front of it and maybe interact with it, which on the one hand is good, but on the other hand is how do you minimize that interaction so that the game flow can continue? Yeah, like, This is a huge design issue that, that developers have been struggling with, I would say since almost the days of Doom, you know? Well, I have actually have uh, like like slides I remember from this thing. Oh, so perfect. Tell I'm, us like, more. I'm going to talk more about it. Um, uh, Alicia Leidecker. There That's her go. name. So uh, I, I really hope I pronounced that correctly, but I got to name the real names here. Um, one thing they brought up in this talk, I took a ton ton of photos of them, were just things like uh, they discuss better user context, like looking at um, all the things you can collect, like head gesture, heartbeat. They said they can collect heartbeat from head pose, wow. um, which is fascinating. Um, gesture and tracking with hands, gaze, emotional data with the eyes, voice commands, uh, time of day, a lot of stuff we've already known about. But they also talked a bit about um, something that I love, which is magic. And I've thought about this before. Uh, I do slide a hand magic as a hobby. Uh-huh. And uh, I've thought about the connection between a pen, pen Gillette and many others. Um, Void, the founders of, of Void, are, uh, have a background in magic and illusion. And the cognitive, um, the cognitive principles of magic are things that you can um, use and also exploit 
in in things like virtual reality right you know it's um it's sound cues misdirection you're basically the attention the way that um a magician can wave their hand here and suddenly they're doing something here or they magicians know i was reading a book by this like i'm now drifting all over the map but this is tangenting let's do tangenting there's a spanish magician named juan tamariz who wrote this really cool book called the five points of magic and he's like a theorist and he was talking about your visual field and body and it's all about eyes hands gaze when you read a book like that suddenly you're like wait a second this sounds like the discussion points for what like magic leaf's talk is and like it's all kind of coming together because magicians realize that your fovea uh, can only see the highest detail and so they there's actually a magician move where you move your hand in a wide arc in some things and it's more effective in suggesting emotion than certain slower motions because you're you're like a cat so anyway right, right. no that's great i think it's great and the point is that getting all the way back is that this is exciting because designers are going to start realizing how to maximize this because these are cognitive things built into us that work well and so it sounded like magic leap was saying again vr designers have said this too subtle audio cues to get you to turn around or or attention tricks to kind of make things seem natural to kind of direct your gaze when you have the ability to look anywhere. So that was a lot of the talk. I think they were also just discussing AI is a big deal because they're banking on a future of deep learning and, and object recognition to, to figure out everything that you're looking at, like Google Lens or Bixby or all the other things we've got, but they're all going to sort of come together. So it's a deep AI, ambitious world. So you know the other thing that you talk, you talk about co- yeah. cognitive um, you know, behavior and stuff, in games, and I think with VR, the other thing that's going to come into play and is majorly important. Yeah. And you know, Lucas used to say this. You know, half of the the, the film experience is sound, mm-hmm. and we know Lucasfilm has had you know Skywalker Studio. I worked at Lucas. I'm a little biased. I worked I worked they at Lucas Arts oh, as cool. a game developer. I didn't know. That. I had to interact often with uh, Skywalker Sound because I worked in audio, mm-hmm. and I also have to uh, I interacted with um, I, I Industrial Light and Magic a lot because a lot of the technologies we did we shared, like in terms of special effect. Um, it was a wonderful time. It was the early 2000s, and they saw a lot of money on that on that front. They're still independent. I'm really, really grateful I got to meet some of the brightest minds. I also worked at Dolby Labs, where I met some of the brightest minds. But I've had some oh, cool jobs cool. that way. But the Around point, that time, I worked at Sony Online Entertainment. Oh, there you go. So you know. Like early, uh, like 2000, 2001. So, so, so the point I'm making is that I think... Uh, audio is going to become a huge important part of mm-hmm. VR game design because audio cues are the fastest way to get somebody's attention. Right. So if you want that foveation to move to the to the top right of your screen, yeah, that's an if you put an audio cue up there, boom, their eyes are going to automatically dart over there. Right, and and you know I didn't see this. I saw this on Engadget actually. Um, um, somebody wrote a story about, and I'll link to it in the show notes about how. Um, Skywalker Sound is starting to figure out how to do sound mixing for VR, mm-hmm. for VR movies, and for VR games. So this is kind of, you know, obviously the next logical step for them. But oh, yeah. but I think what I'm pointing out is do not underestimate how much you can do with just audio alone. Yes. And I think that, you know, this foveation stuff I think is going to fit in really well with audio cues. So it'll be interesting to see. 
One of the only panels that I've recently, I don't do a ton of panels, but uh, my one Mobile World Congress in 2015 was a Dolby-oriented one. Speaking oh. of which, it was about, it was ahead of its time. It was about sound and VR. So it was exactly that, discussing, wow. it was Dolby's uh, emphasis of, of building in that kind of uh, 3D sound, and we had a couple of VR designers discussing it. But exactly, I totally believe that. I think it's so it's so important because it, you, you are not going to pay attention to visual cues and, and in the same way. Here's actually a little, little tidbit that's really interesting. When I was working at Dolby, it was the late 2000s, and they were working on Atmos, which yeah. would, what eventually became Atmos in the theaters. And, you know, this is where the GDC stuff comes in. The um, graphics cards of the time, NVIDIA was providing Dolby with the latest graphics cards mm -hmm. in like racks, basically like, you know, imagine a rack full of graphics cards on a BCI or whatever bus, right? And like, you know, a machine that was just basically designed to, to exploit the compute power of these rather than the actual yeah. graphic output of these. And we use these rack mount things to compute ray tracing of audio reflections hmm. on on various surfaces in the in the theaters to try to figure out you know basically how to do atmos properly in various settings hmm. and and so it's inter the, the, all i'm trying to say here is i mean i don't know the details i wasn't on that team but the, the reality is that a lot of what you do with audio can use gpus to do the computational stuff and yeah especially when it's got to do with, you know, when it superimposes to a 3D world and VR, there's obviously a lot of that going on. So I think our, our, our GPUs that we're using on our you know, machines today or in our processors, in the case of the 845, um, are gonna work tightly with the DSP aspects. Um, and, you know, Qualcomm talks a lot about their DSP, you know, and for, for good reason, because they have you know, probably the most experience of all the chip makers out there, I think, in terms of not just delivering audio to a headphone jack or to a USB-C port or to a Bluetooth chip, mm -hmm. but actually delivering some computational aspects that enable some of the stuff they're doing in graphics and VR and AR. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think as time goes on, I also just think that uh, between magic and theater, I used to do theater in the past too, and... Uh, I think theater is is the is the strongest connecting point. People talk about film, but I just keep thinking about theater. I I think film is one thing, but um, theater seems to, especially as we move into that augmented reality space, theater has the most experience in dealing with a lot of these issues, especially eye contact. You know, uh, films don't actually make eye contact; they just fake it. Um, but theater, good theater is always, especially immersive theater or improv or all these other things. There's so much eye contact going on um, and there's audience connect connection points. Um, the, you know, you have the issue of where everybody's looking. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you have no con direct control over that. So you have to stage things in a way that can be okay with that. So, yeah. And then you start seeing immersive artists like Meow Wolf uh, is, part, is working on, uh, I saw that they're, working with Magic Leap or developing stuff for Magic Leap. I've never been to one of their experiences, but I saw the South by Southwest projects they were doing and I'm very envious. So I think it's <laughs> I think it's super exciting. That's like the next wave I want to see. It's so hilarious you bring them up because I was in Santa Fe a few days you were? ago, driving back from Austin, I, and I couldn't make it. It was so packed oh. because here's the thing. Yeah. So Meow Wolf has a, an expo, like a, an exhibit at Santa Fe. Yeah. And um, we knew that and we, we wanted to go, but it was spring break 
So everybody like, so was ever, all the kids were going and oh, we, wow. we looked at the lines we looked online everything was sold out we, I mean we didn't really plan it super well we weren't sure we were going to be in Santa Fe and everything so but the reality is it's it's hilarious to me that I just got back three days ago from this road trip to Austin and you're talking about Meow Wolf which I was That's kind crazy. of hoping to go to see and you know it's all coming together and you know you're talking about improv and eye contact yeah. and another thing that if you do a lot of public speaking which I know you do you know you get the same problem it's like how do you maintain people's attention and still give them the feel that you care about every single one of them. I mean, this is a right. skill that as a speaker you need to develop and I think it's a skill that applies, you know, th that that a lot of speakers have, have you know, acquired from theater, from, mm -hmm. you know, from performance. Um, and um, I love how we're tangenting again. This is we're great. super tangenting. This is super awesome. Um, maybe let's regroup a little bit and yeah. what else did you see at GDC that kind of tickled your fancy Good question. There's more to come, and some things I can't even <laughs> discuss. Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> That's the great thing about GDC. But um, but Nintendo announced a whole bunch of um, you know Nintendo Switch is year old, and and it's a success. It's Holy a huge success. Crap. Yeah. So I think what's really cool coming to this show, game developers is seeing where Nintendo's at with with indie games, and Nintendo this time, uh, you know, everything they announced at this show was focused on indie games and indie partnerships. And so there was a live Nindy cast or you know, Nindy event uh, thing yesterday. It was about 10, 15 minutes long where they ran down some of the other top games. And I noticed uh, there wasn't anything on the order of like a Stardew Valley or Rocket League or like some of these things, you know, no surprise PUBG announcement or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, nothing that you'd just go like, OMG, there's that thing. But there were some games I really love that they announced, like Luminous, which was a oh, great game. It's a great game. That's pl cross-platform coming there. Uh, Adult Swim Games had a had a game that involved, it, it's called, called um, was it Pool Party? It's basically, um, you are like a like a pool ball character that you're like shooting around it's like this crazy kinetic very cartoonish i thought it was actually based on an actual adult swim property but they said it was original ip um but there are some games that were they were definitely touting exclusive indie games or first to switch right uh, which means an exclusive window and i think it's really interesting because now that the switch has so many systems sold uh and so they have a lot of games that are really highly rated I feel like they're they're consistently, you know, for one year device, uh, like the the number of like high rated games is pretty stunning. That um, I think it's probably pretty good for indie developers. I haven't talked to indie developers directly about this, but I see the strategy that it looks like the Switch is a hot destination now, not one that Nintendo necessarily has to court. So it's like Steam, Switch, maybe Switch before mobile at yeah. this point because yeah. you can get more money. Uh, also, the, the prices are higher. So I thought that was really interesting and, and potentially like uh, a, a, a leapfrogging of like PS4 and Xbox uh, One and what that means for the industry because that's well, really big. It's interesting you bring that up because this dilemma is not happened, has happened before. Yeah. And and I'm bringing that up because I worked at Sony Computer Entertainment at some point as well. Oh, okay. Around the time of the PS Vita. And um, cool. you're up and, in uh, up in LA. No, I was actually down in uh, Foster City here. Oh, Foster City. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. down here in the Bay. 
And and it's interesting because we had the same. I was in developer support at the time, and we were trying to come up. And part of our job was to come, you know, basically developer relations, developer support, you know, interacting and interfacing with U.S. developers was our job. And we were always trying to come up with new ways to kind of get people on the platform. Yeah. And so indie developers at that point were getting really huge because mobile games were getting really huge, and it, the the entry, the bar of entry to getting an iPhone and a Mac and starting to code a game for iPhone. At the time, the App Store was very new, um, was pretty uh, pr a pretty big juggernaut for us to fight against. So mm -hmm. we were coming up with, what can we do taking our SDKs and our dev systems and, make, and, and shrinking them down in price and in scope to make them accessible to indie game developers? And I think, you know, Nintendo's probably struggling with this too, because Ultimately, you can't stop the juggernaut that is mobile gaming on, right. on Android and iOS. And at the same time, you know, clearly Nintendo has proven that we can still make portable devices that are standalone yeah. and be successful in 2017, 18, which is insane. And, you know, Sony stumbled on this so many times with various PlayStation portables and, and the Vita. But the point is that I think ultimately you have this um, this indie game movement is is only getting bigger. Yeah. And it is the same as the indie film movement. And I think mobile drove this really radically. You know, and, and GDC is torn in between the two worlds. Like if you look at the tweets and you talk to various people out there, the takeaway is there's a lot of people who feel like GDC has always been kind of the AAA conference, right? And now there's all these other small indie conferences. And should we be here as indie developers? Do they really care about us? And yeah. GDC's like, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Right, of course. And so, you know, it was it's really interesting because, you know, it's like, I, I think that indie developers are, are the, you know, they're, they're the innovators. That There's no doubt about that, right? They're my favorite thing right now in games. Like, I mean, I, I love looking for arty, interesting edgy uh, indie games and they're all over the place and and it, it they're so it's not hard to find one of those they're 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 amazing works going on i hope that what's exciting is that mobile yeah mobile's had a lot of great games and a lot of games made specifically for the design uh considerations of mobile but then steam uh, so i'm not much of a pc gamer no and, I. yeah and I, I wish i was because Steam always gets the cool stuff. <laughs> that's like you, you basically like get the cool album before you know, like a year before everyone else. And I'm hoping that the Switch can set itself up to become an instant pipeline for those games. I think it's a lot harder to probably take those Steam design games and put them on mobile because that's a whole other that's a whole other design consideration. Mostly touch and different screen ratio. I don't, th yeah, I think it's going to be kind of a pain. But the Switch might work and. Maybe it would pressure... I'm surprised that mobile and tablet games don't... The whole controller thing went away, and yeah. nobody knows what to do, but maybe the Switch will will influence stuff in the future there. I mean, you know, obviously there's been some attempts with the Moto Mod uh, gamepad that uh, Moto released recently, yeah. but... And of course, it, it, it acts as a standard Bluetooth-type controller, so you don't have to change your game, although you can optimize it. And so, you know, there is all that. But it's funny you mentioned Steam... To me, Steam is kind of like the iTunes music part of the iTunes store, you know, right. because all the f big titles always come there first. Like mm -hmm. if you want the latest super successful music album, you're going to get on iTunes before music, uh, Google Play or Spotify. Very rarely do you get the exclusive on other platforms. Right. And I think Steam's like that too. But at the same time, if you talk to any indie musician about getting into iTunes, it's 
feasible but a lot harder mm. than it should be and i think it's the same you know we're seeing that same parallel here yeah um it, and of course I, apple's probably trying to change that in the same way as valve is probably trying to change that um but look indie developers role and if you look at there's a huge parallel in gaming between indie and a triple a titles mm. and hollywood with or movies with Hollywood versus you know indie film. Oh yeah. I mean that is that has always been the case, and and you know part of the reason that I decided to become a tech journalist and kind of leave the video game world was because I was in the AAA world because somehow I ended up there, and you know it was it stopped innovating as an engineer as somebody who was creating technology for the purpose of improving gaming. I didn't quite have as much. Uh, freedom because budgets were very very huge and so mistakes were not allowed mm -hmm. and you know we were much more constrained than when i started 15 years before in the mid 90s when i started you could go nuts and do crazy stuff in AAA. and you know obviously the 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 other thing I could have done, which I actually considered, was you know do mobile games and create a little studio that was doing indie stuff yeah. with a bunch of friends. And somehow, Engadget poached me just in time before I got that off the ground. But yeah, that I have an alternate future where I became an indie game developer after a AAA title game developer and and started my own studio with a bunch of people. There you go. Now you know you heard it here first. That's awesome. That's my my alternate future was the was the playwriting and immersive theater uh, and magic and magic. Now yeah. I'm gonna. Hit Show for magic tricks next time. I'm you at should. A, I'm at I, a party. I, I very reluctantly perform them, um, and like all my all my CNET editors, like get to see them uh, late at night in Vegas and stuff. But I've been doing it since I was ten. That's awesome. It's great, and I started going back to it. I teach my kids some of it. Uh, I, I collect a lot of. Now I'm interested in the books on theory. Like that's like the part that's interesting me the most because you can crawl up the. The, the the ladder between like magic immersive theater and there's a lot of connecting points so you know there are some interesting books that everybody's talking about there uh one of i've been meaning to read darwin ortiz's book strong magic which i have on my bookshelf and apparently designing miracles is really good so there you go those are the things i want to read but yeah i love that's my alternate uh Universe. You know, universe, Scott Stein universe world. Before I ended up doing a lot of tech stuff, or I might still try to get back. It's it's, it's interesting. I love I, I love indie games too, and I just think that it's funny when you think about the top games of each year, like what wins best game at the big game award shows. It is usually still the big studio games. Yeah, but I wonder if we're going to have we seem overdue for the indie films in Hollywood type moment where like the indie film wins best picture that the indie game. You know, while critically celebrated, maybe maybe it's just absolutely recognized as the best game of the year. We need that to that's bound to happen. Not need yeah. that to happen. That's going to happen, and it will tip everything over because you can already sense that that's that's going on. So, what is your take generally on like maybe in a few minutes? What is the state of mobile gaming? Like purely like iPhone, like iOS, Android. <laughs> like where do you think we are? Are we in a good place? Are we in a bad place? Are we in a in transition? I mean, it's there, it's big, there's a ton of casual games that are super popular, that's not surprising. Yeah. But for those of us who are a little bit more into real, like, I hate to say real because they're all games. Yeah, I know what you mean. Because I don't want to be a, a jerk. Yeah. But um, for those of us who are more into traditional games, and maybe do not want to carry an extra piece of hardware, and certainly want to be mobile, yeah. that's where I think mobile gaming has kind of like, yeah. you know, a, a lot of appeal. Where do you think we're at here? Like, are we are we matured? Are we still in the completely indie, raucous stage? Where are we? I think we're at a transition point. Right. It's a weird point. Like, I don't want to sound negative about it, but it's funny. I used to be, 
I, I was into the idea of iPhone games and mobile games from day one when that app store first launched, like Super Monkey Ball. You know, I was like, this is the future. I thought it was great. Uh, I always loved mobile gaming and, and handheld and DS. And I had the Sega, uh, I had the Game Gear. I had, you know, I never had a Lynx. I had all the Nintendo systems at the PSP. So I love that stuff. That being said, I used to play a ton of iPhone games and a bunch of iPad games, and I've stopped playing as many of them. And well, I don't you're pretty busy. That's probably part I'm of also that. pretty busy. I'm also dad and life and everything else. But I don't, even though I'm commuting, I have the phone in front of me, I'd rather take a Switch. Um, uh, when I get home, I'd rather play something on console. So I think what's going on there? There are a lot of really high-quality games. I think it just becomes such a fire hose of content that I really have a hard time keeping up. Every week, a ridiculous number of games. I think Nintendo is going to be dealing with that too. Or Steam already has that. Nintendo is going to be dealing with curating as well. But there's also, I think, what's really interesting where Nintendo setting itself up and it, setting itself up as an interesting proposition is, you know, we are kind of caught between the true, like you say, the real or the traditional types of games you would play on a computer or console. But the but the uh, mobile games can't be disregarded right. they are here they're real they're they're a huge massive force the switch interests me because it seems like they're collecting both sides um like games like reigns which is a really great mobile game very touch-based that's coming to switch but they're also coming up with steam ports so it's almost like they're trying to become a juncture point but still i think it's a it's a there it still seems a little glued together. You know, right, like, right, right, is right. it really a mobile device? I don't know. It's not the same thing. It's a little big, I feel. I mean, it it's, it, and, and rightfully so, don't get me wrong. The Switch in its own is the right size. Right. The Switch as a mobile device that you pocket or take with you everywhere, ugh, it's a tough proposition. I get it. Right. If you're a gamer, you'll do it. It's like the PS Vita. It was a little too big, in my opinion. Ideally, it's a Kindle for games, you know, right. where I think totally. like, you, you, anything you want, you can play. Uh, so I think that the, the design inspiration in there i don't know i'm just talking i'm just no. talking out my talking out my uh, rear at this point but i think design inspiration there will is is traveling up the chain influence other things but it's not so simple as like you used to think oh mobile games are the future and now i don't think that i think that um they're just another thing they're another thing but the actual future is something probably much more modular you know where i think maybe it's not a switch but we're get, we're getting to the point where we can I'm, I'm waiting for the day that we can continually, seamlessly switch screens. And yeah, that's been the holy grail. It's the actually holy grail. been the holy grail in social networking, too. You know? right. It's still not really there, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. We're not there. I still think between, who knows if you're going to have an AR, VR headset in your home. But with things like, uh, I've talked about YGIG forever to the point where people at my office are like, <laughs> shut, up, shut up about YGIG, Scott. <laughs> like, but YGIG is great. But, uh, you know, I want that, you know, carry your phone and suddenly you're connected to your TV or this screen connects to that screen. That's what the Switch is, is uh, you know, marketing for that, that appeal. But instead of docking it, anything could do that. I think that would be exciting because then you get to the point where any game can just kind of morph into the mode you want to so play. So I think 5G is going to enable some of that, to be I honest think with so. you. Because, yeah, you know, 5G and, um, and you know the, the concept of these devices that stream games right yeah. like your game's running on a server somewhere and it doesn't matter where you are as long as you get the connectivity and 5g i think is going to deliver on that connectivity i think so, so we're yeah. going to be able to use like even a mid-range phone that could potentially run the game locally but doesn't right. really do a good job at that and then with 5g on it boom you know 
you're running console grade games um, somehow adapted to and you can start in your living room uh, you know with a big you know projector or like Anything. let's yeah. go crazy and say here with a an LED, what is it? The LED displays they showed at CES, you know, the yeah. the micro LEDs, right? The micro LEDs. So well, that's the thing they said. The Apple's and that, that was the report. That Apple's supposed to be working on right, that with the watch. Exactly, and other, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you switch to your phone or to your or to your AR headset or whatever. Yeah. And and uh, yeah, and and I believe that you know, um, as humans, we're by nature people who want to have fun and games mm -hmm. have are as old as humans are you know uh whether they're physical games and 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 or digital games and i think uh you know all platforms that can run a game should run a game that's my opinion like mm -hmm. and, you know people should thrive to do that as you know pebble we did a lot of games in the app store uh because we were, we thought that was that was fun and i don't know if everybody liked it but i know i played quite a bit of games on my pebble over the years um you know when i was another point of interest um of history here when i was at lucas um the ipod was king and it was before the iphone and you know it was there were games on the ipod oh, at yeah. least on the color ipods if you remember and they were solitaire and apple had a developer kit for that and I tried so hard to convince the power that be at Lucas that we should take all the LucasArts games from the 80s and, the put them on the iPod. Games, and put them on the iPod. And I said, look, I'll, I'll run the division. Like, I'll, like, put me in charge. I'll handpick a couple of engineers, two or three people. We'll get this off the ground for you guys. Because That's think of crazy. all the games. Think of all the LucasArts games yeah. from the 80s we could have ported as 8-bit games onto an iPod with a click wheel. And... And this they, is that alternate universe. This they is didn't <laughs> want to do it. And I, we were so bummed. There were so many of us on the team. They were like, this is such a wasted opportunity. And sure enough, five years later, yeah. you know, the iPhones developed in 2009. The App Store is big. Mm -hmm. They're starting to get big. And they eventually went there with some games. They did. But it's just like they could have been even earlier right yeah and and they had them they had the money to do it which is crazy it's like it's not like you know you're an indie developer it's kind of hard to spread yourself amongst too many platforms because mm -hmm. it it gets very difficult and very expensive so there you go there's another piece of history that we lost somewhere along the way i would have played that I would, right I, oh my god i i know i think you could have Monkey Island on the I ipod mean, with a, part of the reason lucas arts is yeah, i think no longer around is because they didn't put, push themselves hard enough to do that kind of stuff yeah i mean if they had cornered the ipod market there's a good chance they would have been first on iphone not like oh we should do that too which is what they did sure and then you know they'd still be around maybe disney would have still bought them and then we had disney games and lucas arts being kind of like mingling together who knows Oh man, what a crazy world we live in. I know, now we've turned into this uh, conferences full of VR and AR. I just want VR to turn into a pair of iPhones, like iPhones, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's that's what I want. I, I keep thinking about that, that like exactly. You're, the, so my real m magic world is you're playing a game on your phone. You're fine with it. Oh, I want to connect more. I just put in the equivalent of headphones for my eyes. Now it's my full game or it's my immersive... It could, it, I can blow up that world, do whatever I want, and sure, that's what VR is. But it's not, the, it's not, it's not, that. It's, not it's not it's convenient not like your earbuds, um, and it's not, and that's the whole seamless thing. It's like I pop in, pop them in quick, listen to music, pop them out. Once it gets to that point and the resolution is great, that'll be amazing because then basically, mean, and it looks like the glasses you and I are wearing right yeah. now because we're all both both wearing stylish glasses. 
I'll go on to play a game in more depth, and then I pop back out, and I'm just doing something casual on my phone. For sure. Um, quick thing that I saw a story on Engadget yesterday. AR Core has gained 60 new apps at GDC, apparently. Oh, yeah. So let's what talk about you, that. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. Yeah, we, I haven't even had time to dive into them, but I was talking with my, my, my colleague, Sean Hollister, and we were following that. Yeah, Sean. He was it, on the podcast before. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. We, we finally get a chance to catch up out here. We always are connected virtually. So AR Core... I've been excited about that because last year, Apple had its big AR kit moment. Google was right there with the announcement of AR Core, but the floodgates didn't open and it, there was no availability on phones. So it was like this announcement without a, without a debut. And the capabilities look every bit as good and they're trying to advance things even further. So it, it's cool because you see a lot of the AR develop. It looks right now like a lot of the AR apps that were familiar on AR kit have made it over a few New ones have popped up. Um, I think it's a really big deal because it's going to make AR developers finally say, oh, I can make something cross-platform. Yeah. Like now it's just a feature in the app across the board to all the major phones, that the high-end phones that matter because between AR core uh, phones, like the Daydream, you know, level phones and the, um, and the iPhone, it's basically Daydream and AR core similar. Yeah. Similar enough product sets, a little bit different. And the iPhone, um, you got everyone, almost everyone you need for that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's interesting to me about AR Core is that, you know, they kind of th did Tango for a while, they threw that out, and now it's, you know, thanks to, in great part, Qualcomm, actually, it, mm -hmm. because their chipsets universally support a lot of the functionality you need for AR Core to right. work uh, without extra sensors, which Tango required, so it makes it more cost-effective. We're coming full circle you know, to Qualcomm. This is good. I, it's like, I, it's like I, a, a good I, circular. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I like it. That's good. All right, so, you know, the point is that I think here is that you know AR Core is is not dead is is alive and well it's a thing they're they're apps if you have an AR an, a modern Android phone like say you know one of the latest uh, flagships you should be able to download these games and play them yeah they're um, all out I, I looked at there's a whole bunch already out there and, and they're not just games there's some of them are apps like measurement that uh, measuring your world some yeah. of them are like Wayfair that lets you place you know furniture virtually in your home so yep. you can see it Ikea's got their app in the works I don't know if it's out yet but the one where you know putting stuff last year I was interested in putting furniture on subway platforms that became like a very that became a very uh, viral was there moment was an entire Twitter thing around that? there was I did oh a whole God. thing yeah I put That's something awesome. up and it, it, it was popular and then um yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, I mean, there's obviously already AR stickers. You can put Star Wars effects. I will say having used AR kit for, for a year, or not a year, but for a half a year, that um, the, the reaction people have is amazing. It, it's fun to capture footage from it. Um, sometimes it's great. Sometimes you just feel it's gimmicky. And I don't feel compelled to always go back, but it's an important stepping stone because, again, Qualcomm or players in the game who are eventually looking for AR to go beyond the phone... This is the this is the the test ground. Oh, absolutely. So this is where beta. all the technologies are being kind of tested, developed, and et cetera, et cetera. We have about oh about 10, 15 minutes left. Okay. Um, let's switch gears and and nice. leave GDC. Bye, GDC. It was fun. Uh, and <laughs> goodbye. Uh, I'm still here for a bunch more days. Exactly. Goodbye, me GDC. Too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and talk about um, some rumors and phone stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So you just got Galaxy S9 Plus. When I walked into your hotel room, there it was on the table. Yeah, you're like, oh, yeah, S9 you're Plus. like me. I, I know. got one. I did an unboxing video because I had to okay. for my channel. And I haven't had a chance to set it up yet. I feel so bummed. I've been so busy this week. I got a perfectly good Galaxy S9 Plus in Lilac. And it's on oh, my nice. desk, charged, ready for me to start using it. 
I need to do that. What about you? Have you pulled it out of the box at all? I said, yeah, I, took, I set, it set it up. up? Oh, you're ahead of me. Yeah, I set it up. Doesn't have a SIM card. Uh, I may not need a SIM card for what I'm looking at. I'm, I'm using it because of very specific um, review purpose. I'm really curious about Samsung's blood pressure app. Yeah, we'll get into that in a sec because it's almost like that's like a I'm going to tangent to that in a moment. So I, it's funny because I looked at the Galaxy S9 a, a little bit ahead of its launch. Um, Me too. Right. So as part of that, I mean, Jessica Delcourt at CNET did the whole review and has been using it a ton. So I didn't get to use it beyond just a little bit of time. Um, I liked it. I didn't see a huge reason to upgrade over the S8, probably to the S8's credit because you know, compared to like say the iPhone, uh, the iPhone's design has been the same forever, but the bump up model is the one that really changes the design game. Right. But the S8 opened that design to everyone uh, across the S8, the S8 Plus, the Note 8. So there you go. And not that design is everything, but I think it's most of what people are looking for. It's to a the good point. design. It's a good solid design. I feel like yeah. the S8. You know, there's a TikTok cycle with Samsung where absolutely. You know, so the, we're in the yeah we're, the, in the we're in the talk. So we're in the second half yeah. of the cycle right now, which is why we're seeing a repeat of the design. But sure. it's not a bad design to repeat. Like holy That's crap, great. it's a great design, and to it repeat. totally set the course for all the phones now. You have a lot of phones going to eighteen nine. I know. Um, the notch. Well, so yeah, the <laughs> iPhone seems to have won out on the notch bet. But Samsung doesn't have the notch, which is nice. And they're also going it with the headphone jack, which is still... Oh, like, man, so good. Now is a rebel move I in know, the, in the like, phone industry. It's really amazing if you think about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, like, headphone jack! So uh, the S9 Plus is nice, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I would need it. But I'm most interested in how it handles AR, how it handles VR. VR is interesting because this is something... So this is totally speculative, but I'm just wondering... So Samsung did not change the game with VR on the S9. It works with the existing Gear VR. But it's A45. That, but so it inherits A45. all of the VR goodness from Qualcomm. Here. Yes. But then that also makes me wonder, and this is saying, uh, you know, this is the dot, dot, dot. When we talk about the reference design of, of the A45 and all the things I just mentioned before that it can do in VR, including positional tracking, SLAM, will Samsung make a move to enable that via an update or have a new version of Gear VR. I mean, Samsung's very ahead of the game on most tech. So it would, it wouldn't, you know, we talk about all these VR players. Samsung's funny because they're partnered with Oculus, but will that always be the case? Uh, you know, Oculus is now creating its own initiative with a standalone. They're still doing stuff with Oculus. There's nothing that's changed. But I'm, I think Samsung is going to want to continue to up the game. There's an interesting decision here. If you create, like, would it would a more advanced system be an Oculus partnership? Would they sort of develop yeah. their own? I have no idea, but it makes me wonder because I feel like it made me feel that only one shoe had dropped with the S nine and VR. Like the rest of the the, the processor is too powerful. Well, you know, they like they're not going to gonna stay the course. They right? need to keep a few things up their sleeve, right? Sure. And, and the Note Nine right now, the big questions are on the Nine. How how can they improve on the Galaxy S Nine Plus? Right. Because last year the Note Nine, Note Eight, sorry, introduced the dual camera, which you know was the first for Samsung, at least you know not necessarily a first, but yeah. You know, uh, it definitely a much needed feature. Now it is on the Galaxy S Nine Plus. So Absolutely. what do we do with the Note Nine and? And I mean, under like screen fingerprint reader is one thing I'm thinking about. That would be interesting. Uh, um, a, a face ID unlock 
that's secure, that's yes. usable for money payments that that haven't that hasn't been achieved. And you know, I'm wondering if actually we'll segue to this in a second. If Huawei with the P20 next week is going to surprise us with some Face ID equivalents that works with money. And I have a feeling they're not, which is really sad because it hmm. seems to me like we're almost a year into Face ID. Yeah. And it's been a superb experience, I think, overall for most people. I have an iPhone 10 that I use occasionally. Yeah. And I have had very few issues with Face ID mm -hmm. in all kinds of environments, even in motion where sometimes I just like run the phone by my face and bang, it it's works. working. And, and I'm wondering, like, where is the Android world with this? Is the Pixel 3 going to be the first phone? Is 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 the P20 going to be the first phone? I thought the Galaxy S9 might be the first phone. Now I'm thinking the Note 9 might be the first phone. Somebody in Android needs to come up with not this, you know, hybrid face recognition thing that Samsung has. Yeah. Not this, you know, what we see on the Honor View 10 or the <coughs> OnePlus 5T, right. which is kind of a supplement to the fingerprint reader. I'm talking about bonafide. You can stop using the fingerprint reader if you choose to. Mm -hmm. Technology that can be used and that Google Pay runs on and Samsung Pay on the, on the Samsung phone runs yeah. on securely. Nobody's done that. Where is that? Everybody's talking face ID or face recognition or face biometrics, but nobody's actually doing it on Android seriously. I hope Google takes the lead on that. Because I want Google to take that, the lead on that. I think system-wide, that seems like a great Google I.O. thing. Right? Right, because first of all, it's in Google's interest. A That's biometrics. That and they have is, experience with it with, from Tango. Absolutely. So you're talking about, I mean, yeah, Apple really with, with that true depth, was doing a micro version of what Tango was exactly in a lot of ways. So, you know, the ball back in Google's court, you have the chance to do this. And and I think that it would help. I really like the initiatives for things like Daydream and AR Core because they're creating a consistency across platforms that is needed for that higher tech to say, um, okay, yes, everyone can do what they want, but it becomes a crazy mess. And for key things like bio, like biometrics, or oh yeah, you want that to be payments. I don't want. US, yeah, yeah, I don't want Samsung and and um, well, Huawei. Motorola, Huawei. <laughs> yeah. Everyone developing their own version. Everybody freaks out right now. Yeah, okay. like Samsung may just go ahead and do that. So yeah. Um, also, I'm curious for rumors about the next Samsung phone. What about that folding phone? What about? Well, I think that's a separate product. I think it's going to happen. Do you think, think it, it would be Note? Would no, there no, be a the Note, Note X? The, no, the Note 10. The, the, the Note yeah. is a huge staple of their of their product line they're going to evolve it they're not going to okay i think the the the, the galaxy s x or 10 yeah. is going to be a standalone this is you know kind of like when the note the note edge came out remember yeah like it was just the like one -off experiment throw it out there and see what happens yeah well it became the infinity display in a way right That's true. I mean, they're testing so, yeah for samsung is a big deal because they're literally testing the next wave of tech that, and if you think about it the note was a gamble and they won that gamble majorly like right everybody wants big phones it turns out and even so much so that apple followed suit yeah uh, kicking and screaming am i mad i might add <laughs> but um you know, the thing is to me about the Galaxy S9 is that, you know, it's getting a lot of kind of a lot of people bitching about, ah, it's just evolutionary. But I feel that people are missing the point. Again, there's a TikTok cycle. Mm -hmm. There's also the fact that you've got a Snapdragon 845 in there. It's not just that it's a faster, newer processor. It's that it brings with it a whole bunch of DSP, ISP, VR, AR-capable technologies mm -hmm. that make this a significant upgrade over the 835. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is the camera system. 
Yeah, it's getting, it's kind of getting closer to the Pixel 2, which is still the, the mm -hmm. king, queen of the roost, as it were. King, because the roosters are male. Uh, <laughs> everybody's genderless with me. It's crazy. <laughs> and so uh, I'm like, you know, I think, I think that uh, we've seen, you, you can't, you can't deny that doing a dual aperture phone, a camera on a phone that's slim. Remember, Nokia did it before, but it wasn't that slim. Like doing it that way is pretty amazing. Is it necessary? I'm not sure. I actually think Huawei has some really interesting things up their sleeve for the P20. I'm not sure what they are, but but the imaging on the P20 is in Leica and, and Huawei are going to you know, in the same way as the Galaxy S9, you know, absolutely in terms of what can be done with the dual aperture, I think that we're going to see uh, this year, we're going to see Huawei do the same on the P20. Again, will it be able to compete with the, Gal with the uh, Pixel 2? Is, you know, AI computational photography is still the thing. Um, they are both they're both going to have AI features. I mean, note the, the Mate 10 Pro from Huawei has AI features, mm -hmm. and of course the Galaxy S9 has AI features. The problem with AI on these other phones that are non-Google phones is that Google has a better data set, and yes. you really need the data set to be able to do this. So and AI just gets tossed around like as this term where you're like, what is it really doing? And yeah. it's it's very it's feel feels vaporous. It's hard to know what it's doing, how it's collecting. And having multiple layers like that is crazy. But I agree. Even stuff like Bixby, like their their translate thing is from Google uh, Translate. Yeah, which is funny. So it's like just yeah. use Google Lens. Yeah, you know, know, it's like yeah. that's what I would want to use. Is that I I just want those services. Why do you need a second service? And there doesn't. It's bizarre. So we talked about the P20. Let's get into that. There is a huge leak that came out yesterday through some German site, I think, Win something that everybody kind of parroted out mm -hmm. and. We've got all the specs, theoretically. I don't know if they're real, hmm. but we got all the specs and the cameras are insane. They're talking about a 40 megapixel main camera, which brings us back to the days of the Lumias and the, yeah. the PureView and the 808 Symbian phone. And they're talking about uh, the only reason, the only way they can pull that off, honestly, in a phone that thin, I assume it's the same thickness as all modern phones, uh, like something like eight millimeters or so, it's gonna have to be a. It's get better be a big sensor if it's you mm -hmm. know like in terms of physical size. Otherwise, those pixels are gonna be really small. And exactly what are they doing? What kind of? To me, this screams computational photography. Like to right. me, it's like let's get a, a a fire hose of data coming from that sensor, and then do something with it. And of course, it's, it's, there's still rumors that it has three lenses on the Pro, which is one of the two phones leaked and. Yeah. We're looking at, you know, something like a, the rumors are like 8 megapixel tele, 20 megapixel mono, which is always already the case on mm -hmm. the Mate 10 Pro. And then this crazy 40 megapixel sensor as a color sensor. Like what is and, that? And it's crazy. I'm like, the other thing that has got me excited is that, you know, traditionally Huawei has always done a hybrid zoom mm -hmm. where they've taken the, the monochrome sensor and enhance the color sensor to create a better zoom because there's more pixels to play with on the mono. Yeah. And they get the color info from the RGB sensor, the 12 megapixel or whatever it is on the mate. And, and then the 20 gives them more detail and they can zoom in that way a little bit computationally and they get a two times hybrid zoom, which basically looks really awesome as a two times, almost as good as a physical telelens, right? Out of no telelens. So now imagine they're adding a third lens that is a telelens 
Will they be able to pull off like something like an eight time zoom or something that's insanely good? Uh, I mean, this is this is what I'm telling you. That's this is all about. This, this is the this, camera wars. This leak of the P20 has yeah. me scratching my head as a photography buff on cameras right now because mm -hmm. I really don't know what to expect. I was expecting just an evolution of what we saw today mm -hmm. on the Mate 10 Pro. With a t I, it was clear that that third lens would either be a super wide angle or a tele, but I'm like, what? the F is going on here. And they look pretty sexy. They have this kind of weird like like rainbow effect on the back cover. Mm. It's glass and it, it looks like, they call it uh, like, I don't know, like they don't have a name for it yet, but they, they I, I suppose I would, I want to call it unicorn actually. Um, <laughs> I comes, think, in, comes in unicorn and black. Exactly. That's your And so, I mean, other than that, the leaks are showing a fingerprint reader in the front and a notch, speaking of notches. So this is completely weird. There's a notch at the top, and then at the bottom there's a small chin, kind of like Galaxy S9 chin, and then yeah. in that chin is a fingerprint reader. And I'm like, it's like, I have I've some kind of like, um, what's it called, like, it doesn't compute for me because yeah. you know the notch indicates you're trying to do a full screen display like Apple did with no chin sure. and you know the, the Asus Zenfone 5 has the same problem there's a chin at the bottom it doesn't Is have it? a fingerprint reader but there's a notch at the top and then a chin at the bottom Where's the, why is there a chin at the bottom on these phones can we call this notch and chin design yeah exactly is, and, and so term that. and so I'm like thinking to myself okay there's a chin at the bottom like all the other notch phones except the iPhone but right. now why do you put the fingerprint reader in there why not put it in the back or under the display because it's anachronistic, right? You get the notch, sure. super high-tech, modern, new thing, for better or for worse. And then you got a fingerprint reader and a chin below. I still like fingerprint readers, though. Me too. I'm not saying they should go away. But for me, the face back, ID is always like a bit of a... I, think, I still have issues I like them better in the back. Yeah. So really? why not put it in the back? I like the and have no screen And have no chin. Like, what the hell? Underscreen, face ID... That's what I, I want them so to So the leak like indicates that. there's basically three phones. There's a P20 Lite, a P20, and a P20 Pro. Okay. And the P20 Pro is what I've been talking about with these crazy cameras. Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't know. Nobody knows. We'll find out next week on March 27th in Paris. There'll be a big announcement. I'm sure you, a team, will have somebody. Oh, there. we'll have people there. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm I not will. going. I wish I was. Next week, I'll be in Chicago. Oh, cool. Going What's going on there? Apple Educational event. Oh, right. That's right. That's the same week. So that's also happening. And yeah. the same day, in fact. Oh, my God. So because, that you know, popped up out of can nowhere. Can you imagine being Huawei and being like, I cannot believe they decided to schedule this event last minute to overlap our event. This is very Apple. This is what happens. Apple. You have a super busy period of time and then an unexpected Apple event just... One final thing in. before we go. Let's talk quickly, uh, speaking of notches, of uh, the OnePlus 6. They're not leaks. They're more like rumors. Uh, there's an Oppo phone out right now hmm. that just came out that has, you know, basically like... That, that exact, it seems like, I must, I think everybody's using the same third-party display on these phones mm. because yeah. the Zenfone 5 has it, the Noah N10 has it, the Oppo has it. It's They all have the notch and the chin. Right. So um, it looks like there's an Oppo phone that uh, might be the Proto, as it were, um, you know, the Proto OnePlus 6 in terms of, of its industrial design. Because sure. remember, last year's 5, yeah. was almost a copy of an Oppo phone. Oh, right? that's interesting. Uh, of a mid-range Oppo in terms of industrial design. So let's the Oppo R15 is the phone that supposedly might okay. be the proto design-wise of the of the uh, OnePlus 6 phone when it comes out. I would say it's all highly likely. Yeah, notches are everywhere, notch and chin. Let's 
Let's. It, that seems like the likely direction for sure. I mean, what do you think in. of this of the OnePlus? Have you played with them at all? Yeah, so I got to go to the OnePlus uh, 5T event in New York. Uh-huh. I didn't do the review, but I got to use it. It's really cool. It's really I, nice, I, right? Yeah, and um, it's seen. I just did a follow up review. Uh, Lynn Law had, had looked in on it. Uh, we love it. It's 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 a really good price. I think there's always questions with OnePlus about like customer. So the customer service and other elements. They were like a little little gripes. Yeah, they've had a few little privacy problems too there. Along yeah, and the way. privacy things. I, I, I think a lot of them are kind of cultural in the sense that right. like, we thought we could do this. This is perfectly okay in China. What do you mean we can't do this here? And I'm like, um, yeah. guys, that's really? The stuff. That's the stuff. As a, as a phone, as a device, um, it's great. It's that great um, kind of premium middle ground, I guess what they call it, you know, where you're getting all the things that that you'd want. Um, they they continually are addressing. Kind of reminds me of Razer in a weird way. Like when I was following PCs a lot, yeah, yeah. and the way Razer would be very community focused and introduce things that the community they said the community was asking for, and were you know. So in that sense, I I, I think it's it's a great presence in phones. I think, I think it's, we need uh, it's more, really good. We need more competition in that realm. Yeah, I think that somebody needs to come along and say, hey, OnePlus. Let 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 us show you what what we're right. Put do. them put the put a little fire under. Yeah, that's true because it's it's a it's an area where they're kind of standing alone at this point. You know, one thing we didn't bring up. Speaking of computational photography and cameras, was this report about Google uh, buying Lytro? Oh my God, I missed this. They yeah. bought Lytro. Well, the, it's a report now, I believe. So oh, uh, I thought that was fascinating because what was it? Just oh, I didn't actually have not even used this app yet, but Google has made a lot of um, talk about light field technology in VR. And there's a VR app experience that lets you look at it like a light field ex- you know, experience. I think on, on, um, you know, PC, I think it's on, it's available on like high-end, you know, PC hardware right now to, to peek at. But Lytro is an interesting connecting point to that because if you think of, you know, maybe the next war is th- fought with light field. And it makes me think about light field displays for mixed reality. Like I've not used Magic Leap, but I did get to use Avagant's um, last year, their, their right, light right. field. The light field. Yeah, I got to go to their office and look at that. To my knowledge, the only other one out there that does that. And it's it's really interesting. The ability to capture a lot of uh, data that you can look at and I could focus on things farther away and closer. It almost seems like a, not a maybe not in competition with, with eye tracking, but another element. Yeah, it's another part that we need another to... Another part. Yeah, to So instead refine. of tracking your eye, this is an actual field of 3D info that, like what your eye does, you can look... And so the advantage in a camera could be capturing not just for, for photos, but for the future of VR, AR, computational. Maybe yeah. you're, maybe you're collecting... Sensing. Yeah, maybe you're just collecting a crazy ton of data and figuring out what to do with it later. Um so that's another thing. I and mean, it's like the, the camera the camera situation is far from settled. And I think the more things we put on cameras, computational computer vision, um, every VR AR element that we see going forward relies on cameras, inside and outside. I just think it's 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 you know what I growth. wanna see? You know what I wanna see? I wanna see a pick Google has done that with the original Pixel and Pixel 2 to some extent. Super stable video, right? Yeah. Using in the original Pixel, no OIS, and then on the so Pixel 2, there's a hybrid of electronic and optical that right. they, you know, computationally turn into something magical. I want to see that on stills. 
I want to be able to hold my phone, like steady, like like yeah. you know, brace myself a little bit out this window at night and do a long exposure where I don't need a tripod, and computationally it fixes it for me. Like really, finally get. Yeah, to I it. mean, OIS can get it to some extent. Maybe this technology would combine OIS and EIS. Maybe you use a very large sensor like the P20 does yeah. to do that. But the reality is somebody's going to have to do it first. That and that's going to change the game. So, Scott, we should wrap up. Okay. Tell the world where they can find you online, what you do, who you are, all these good things. Sure. We covered yourself. We covered everything. I love it. Um, my, uh, my name is Scott Stein. You can find me uh, at CNET. Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at JetScott. Uh, I'm always there talking, uh, probably too much. And um, where else? Those are the big places. I mean, I'm, I'm infrequently posting random photos on Instagram. <laughs> That's always good. And, uh, and Facebook. Uh, yeah, Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. yeah, Facebook. So, um, but that, yeah, those are, the, those are the main areas. And I cover uh, mobile. Uh, I also look a lot at wearable VR, AR, and, uh, and also often gaming. And I do magic. For fun there we go we found out and i like theater <laughs> yay so you guys know where to find me i'm at tankgirl on twitter that's tnkgrl like the comic book character drop the vowels that's also my handle on instagram uh my youtube channel is miriam joar on youtube so just my full name youtube.com slash miriam joar you know that there are lots of videos there that complement this podcast show you the devices i use i'm playing with so you can see what they look like because the podcast is audio and you might want to wonder what is this phone like the NOAA N8 that Miriam's talking about uh, please subscribe to the podcast mobiletechpodcast.com oh, is yeah. where it's at I was going to say I'm also on a podcast at CNET the CNET book club we're on like every two months so it's so infrequent you may never catch us but we're going to increase it we talk about a lot of books that we've been reading Dan Ackerman and I at CNET actually talk to the authors we've had about four episodes so far and um, please subscribe and speaking of books our sponsor is audible.com so please there you go go to audibletrial.com slash mobile tech that's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech to get uh, a link that you can click on to subscribe to audible and it will help the podcast audible as you know is the premium the first the best the number one the awesomest audiobook platform on the internet and uh, if you like books and you don't have time to read them because you're commuting and you want to listen to them, this is your platform. Audible.com. My latest listening, I already told you in the last two podcasts, I finally finished it on this road trip, was the Star Wars Last Jedi Audible audiobook. 11 plus freaking hours. It was awesome. Oh, wow. So okay. I think my next one is I'm going to switch to a William Gibson novel. Big fan of William Gibson. Oh, um, me too. Thanks, Scott, for being on. Really yeah. appreciate it. We went way off topic. <laughs> that was awesome. That's like me in everyday life. You get to experience what it's like being in the office with me. We tangented like bosses. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.